So moving forward, I'm just going to stay in my lane and try to dodge any questions in future Super Bowls like this one leading up to it, where you even had to ask me at one point why I was so obsessed with this proposal prop. It's almost like I knew I shouldn't have done it all along. Yeah. That should be the name of this episode, Stay in Your Lane. Yeah. <laughs> Which is, brings the question, <laughs> of why am I here? <laughs> Welcome to Props and Hops, a betting and beer podcast powered by Dimers.com. I'm your host, Matt Landis, and this week, we welcome back the unofficial executive producer of this show, my brilliant and beautiful wife, Allison, also known as Mrs. Props and Hops. Of course, we recap the Super Bowl, including a unique look at how it should exonerate Pete Carroll, and where I need to learn to stay in my lane as a better. We also zoom out and recap the 2021 season as a whole, and also look ahead to the 2022 NFL campaign, before ultimately weaving in the other pillar of this podcast and shining a spotlight on the hops. One housekeeping note before we cut to the conversation, as the world of sports goes on after football, if you want picks in other sports, driven by analytics and thousands of simulations, go ahead and check out the Cutting Edge Quick Picks section for free over at Dimers.com. You can find a link in the show notes to see where you want to get down on the Dimerspot's biggest edges. And now, enjoy my conversation with the one and only Mrs. Props and Hops. Allison, welcome back to Props and Hops. Kind of fun calling you by your first name. Don't do that too much when we're here together at home, just the two of us. But we've had a few days at this point to decompress after the Super Bowl, also look ahead to the offseason. I feel like this Wednesday, the week after the Super Bowl, kind of becoming a fun annual tradition for us to reconvene on the podcast. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. Before we dig in too much to the Super Bowl itself, I feel like you made sure that Super Sunday was super before the game even started. Tell us how your day began bright and early. Uh, I ran a half marathon in Griffith Park. And uh, I mean, I'd done it for years before, obviously before COVID. And so I thought it was going to be the same course that it had been previously. And it turned from a road run into a trail run, which I've never done before let alone a trail half marathon. So that was rough, Uh, but I got through it. (laughs) I was pretty exhausted by the time it was for the Super Bowl. So I think, uh, I don't know, we'll see how much I can actually comment on this game because I feel like I was half there and half asleep. And a trail run, you're basically in sand and on rocks as opposed to paved roads that a half marathon would traditionally be on, right? Yeah, it was not fun. (laughs) but you didn't just stick it out and complete the run you also kind of kicked ass along the way so you're not bragging I'm asking you about this tell us how the end result turned out for you yeah I actually won my division which I wasn't expecting um I run without a watch or anything so I have no idea you know what my time is while I'm running but then at the end um I think a mix of people probably quitting halfway through the race (laughs) or whatnot but um Yeah, I ended up actually doing pretty well, but I'm not going to rush to do a trail run, or definitely not a trail half marathon anytime soon. 
Yeah, I'm reminded of that saying showing up is half the battle. In this case, just finishing. I mean, a lot of people understandably bailing on a run if they were not under the impression it would be hilly and sandy and rocky instead of a typical half marathon they might expect. But just that grit. Um, I'm so proud of you for winning your division, but also just doing the run. I feel like the tenacity to do that shows in a lot of other areas of your life and who you are. And I think that explains largely why you are where you are today. So Super Bowl result aside, I think that was just an awesome, badass way to kick off Super Sunday. And while you were doing that, I was doing my lines, as we say, looking at the lines before the Super Bowl market came off the board and the game kicked off, trying to lock in any last-minute bets. And in anticipation of the game, I'd like to kind of transition into your thoughts on what we saw between the Rams and the Bengals. How would you describe the game itself on Super Sunday? It's funny because I feel like the score, if you just looked at the score, you would think like, wow, what an exciting close game. But um, again, I will have the caveat I was kind of zoned out for some of it, recovering from my morning. But it actually wasn't, I mean, you tell me, but I didn't feel like it was that much of a nail biter at any point. It was, And it got to the point too where I felt like it was like just all these sacks happening. So I think it was actually kind of a frustrating game to watch, I think on both sides. Um, obviously we live in Los Angeles, so I definitely was rooting more for the Rams, but it was one of those games where, and we've talked about before, I felt like we had already watched our Super Bowl a few weeks earlier, uh, with the Buffalo, Kansas city game. So I, I went into this with not the highest of expectations and, um, they were pretty much met because it was just, (laughs) I think an all around okay game. Um, Having said that, it, it definitely gets interesting. I feel like whenever I watch the Rams, they they tend to be in closer games than they ever should be in. I mean, this one, they really could have ran away with it, and they didn't, which was uh, kind of disappointing. Again, since were there, was it eight or nine sacks? Seven. Seven, oh. It felt like a million. Um, <laughs> so, there were just so many sacks and so many opportunities I felt like they could have capitalized on, and they basically just like squeaked by with a win, which was a little surprising. Um, I mean, I'm glad they did it, but yeah, I think the halftime show was way more entertaining than the game itself, which is also, I had extremely high expectations for the halftime show and very moderate measured expectations for the game. And that's pretty much how it played out. So I, there were pretty much no surprises for me. I think you're onto something when you talk about Buffalo, Kansas City being, for all intents and purposes, the Super Bowl. Even though the winner of that game got knocked out the next week, the Bills and the Chiefs opened up as the early odds-on favorites to win next year's Super Bowl. Mm. So, yes, the Rams and Bengals made it to Super Sunday, and they won their conferences. They deserve credit for that. But I think you have a pretty good read on who the two best teams in the NFL really are. Maybe we'll see a more elevated matchup next year. And for entertainment value, too, I feel like all the playoff games were actually more interesting than the Super Bowl game. Yeah, probably after the wild card round. The wild card round was a bit of a snooze except for Niners-Cowboys. And then from then on out, it was just, you know, one thriller after another. Yeah, yeah. There was a lot more happening, I feel like. And I guess also, I mean, I know the stakes are obviously really high at the Super Bowl, but there is something fun about the playoffs to see who gets there. I feel like everyone's trying really hard. In this game, it just... Again, it, it just felt like there wasn't a lot of excitement because it was the Super Bowl. It's really do or die mm-hmm. at this point. And I felt like there was a lot more... The team seemed to play with a lot more on the line going into the Super Bowl than they did in this Super Bowl game. Yeah, I think part of that has to do with this was perhaps the first Super Bowl ever, if not the first Super Bowl in a long time, without any of the top three seeds advancing. Mm-hmm. 
a four seed versus a four seed. It kind of looked that way. I've heard other people say that, you know, it was a competitive game between two good teams, maybe not great teams. But if this was the Sunday night game in the middle of the season, you'd be like, okay, cool. That's like half interesting. But for the stakes of the Super Bowl, it was really hard to fully buy in. I will say that one thing that I thought was cool after we had this conversation last year, I joked that we would see a home team win the Super Bowl again after Tampa did it for the first time last year. Um, I was saying that tongue-in-cheek, implying it would be my Chargers. Of course, it was the Rams who brought it home. But one thing we did finally see after a lot of the game, I'd say especially mid-third quarter to mid-fourth quarter, it just felt like the Bengals were getting sacked deep in their own territory and punting it back to the Rams at midfield, and the Rams would go three and out and punt it right back to the Bengals. Like, I feel like a quarter of the game just disappeared there. Mm -hmm. And when the moment got really big late, we saw the best players, in my opinion, on the better team shine the brightest, kind of what, you know, an L.A. Hollywood Super Bowl would hope for if you had to script it. Aaron Donald just being a game wrecker at the end, and then Matthew Stafford coming up with a huge drive when the Rams needed it most. He had one pass to Cooper Cup, that has gotten a lot of runs since the game. I don't know if you've seen any replays. It was actually a no-look pass. Soon after Cooper Cup took the handoff to convert a big fourth down, Stafford hit him over the middle, like right over a linebacker, right in front of a safety, and he could only free up space to get Cup open by looking way off to his right and then hitting Cup over the middle of the field. If he were staring his receiver down, it would have been a phenomenal throw, but for that no-look pass, that added element, that was really cool. Obviously, Cooper Cup, what he did on that last drive delivering a Super Bowl MVP winning performance. So to see the stars come out when it mattered most, that was kind of cool. At least at the very end, the game did get people on the edge of their seats. But I think one of the bigger storylines that I haven't heard so much right before that would be the Rams defense, not just on those final few drives, but the second half. They allowed 10 points. I feel like we might as well give them credit for a shutout because the first play of the third quarter, the Bengals got a 75-yard touchdown thanks to their receiver dragging Jalen Ramsey down by his face mask. And then the very next drive the Bengals got, they started in field goal range because of an interception. So the Rams defense held its own to force the field goal. So really, I think the Rams defense did a phenomenal job, really allowing more yards the first play of the third quarter than the rest of the second half combined. It's not the most exciting way to watch a game, but it's an easy way to lose sight of the fact that that defense was playing really well against Joe Burrow and some pretty good Cincinnati weapons on offense that had kind of been clicking leading up to the Super Bowl. One other topic, as the game got interesting late, that um, I feel like just, of course, like a knee-jerk reaction, we saw some complaints about the officiating. And I feel like in a lot of ways, that can be the oldest and weakest move in the book when the game goes against somebody. My initial thought was people complaining about some flags as the Rams were trying to punch in that last touchdown. You know, if you're complaining about that, then are you forgetting about that T. Higgins touchdown where he uh, grabbed Jalen Ramsey's face mask? I think it all kind of evened out. The Bengals also had plenty of opportunities um, earlier in the game to cash in, and they can't blame the refs for losing. I mean, they settled for a short field goal after the interception that I just talked about. Jamar Chase made a phenomenal catch in the first quarter on a deep ball from Burrow, and that set them up almost with first and goal. You know, just outside the 10, had to settle for a field goal there. Last drive of the game, they had second and one at midfield. And they didn't convert another first down. Third and one, they handed off to their backup running back. So, yeah, some of those flags at the end could have gone either way. It's never great when it feels like the refs decide a game, but I just had a tough time accepting that that really had any material impact on the ultimate outcome of the Super Bowl. Well, also, has any team ever won any football game that where their quarterback got sacked seven times? 
the Bengals a couple weeks prior <laughs> beat the Titans when Burrow got sacked nine times. But yeah, they're kind of a unicorn like in that sense. That's their. That's a very obvious area of improvement for them. So forget about like, you know, being upset about the officiating. One thing you can control is like, how about you protect your quarterback more? Because that's just like lost plays right there. If not, it could even be turnovers if the ball gets out. So it's like those are way more deadly than like a blown call or, or a missed call. I think that's a great point. There's a saying, sacks kill drives. Mm-hmm. I guess for the Bengals, they were able to skate by for a while. But that's a really good point because when you mention, you know, comparison to turnovers, sometimes, yeah, it's not an interception or a fumble in the box score. But if you're moving the ball and you get way behind the chains because of a sack, or in some of these cases, it seemed like sack after sack mm-hmm. after sack, that can really derail things similar to turnovers. So I think that's a really good observation on your part. One thing that I think is going totally overlooked in this game, you know, we've addressed the sacks and the officiating. A lot of people have talked about it. I think you have a good perspective there. But I kind of feel like Pete Carroll deserves a little bit of exoneration if we want to consider that in Super Bowl Forty Nine. Seattle had second and goal from the one, down by four, end of the game. They had to get a touchdown to win it. That's kind of the exact situation the Rams were up against when they passed for their game-winning touchdown this past Sunday. When Seattle was in that Super Bowl a few years back, they had 26 seconds left and only one timeout, so they couldn't run the ball three times to ensure that they would see the final series of downs to the end. The Rams had the ball with a minute 29 left. The Bengals had two timeouts, so you almost want to bleed a little clock. You'd think the Rams could afford to run three times, maybe kill some clock along the way. I know the Rams' run game wasn't working. Stafford tried to sneak on first down. That went nowhere. But still, when you consider the way that those plays went down, you know, Seattle had a devastating result. The Rams had the best possible result. I still kind of wonder if people are overlooking an opportunity to reconsider that infamous Pete Carroll pass call from the one to end Super Bowl 49. People aren't that kind or that smart. I just think it's like that saying, right? It's like, it's only a bad play if it doesn't work out. (laughs) And just... It just didn't break, you know, Seattle's way. But, you know, I don't think Pete Carroll, unfortunately, will ever live that down. Even though, I mean, like Annie Duke has called, like, all these, like, really smart people have been like, no, statistically speaking, that was the right plan. But I just think that's not going to convince most people. Yeah, I think if we want to look at the passes being called, you know, not just the decision to pass, but the plays. I mean, Russell Wilson did throw into traffic. Mm -hmm. I get the complaint about that. Stafford checked out of a run to throw to Cooper Cup because he was matched up one-on-one on Eli Apple, who is not known to be a great corner, and you've got the best receiver in the game, arguably. So, of course, that can reframe the way you look at it. But if anybody still has a bone to pick with Pete Carroll, I would encourage them to look more at the process immediately preceding the Seahawks getting to second and goal from the one. Um, Seattle had all three timeouts left at the two-minute warning. They had already crossed midfield. They wasted their first timeout after an incomplete pass. They wasted their second time out after a miracle catch by Jermaine Kirst to set them up deep in New England territory. So by putting yourself in a position not to be able to run four times if you need to on the final series of downs, that's something that I think could be questioned a lot more than a decision to throw the ball or not to throw it. Of course, as you said, it all comes down to the result. And in the end, I think that people, uh, you know, like you said, more result-driven than process-driven. So nobody's going to exonerate Pete Carroll, but I think if they looked at it more objectively, maybe a little more open-mindedly, he probably deserves it. I mean, if Stafford tries to throw that past a cup and anything goes wrong, Sean McVay is going to get equally hated. And we saw the result. Nobody's batting an eye about Sean McVay's play calling in that situation. Well, we've talked about it before too, right? You never win or lose a game because of one play. 
it's like when we talk about the sacks, it's like it's a series of either successes or failures that sort of determine the outcome of the game. It's really easy to look at like a big final play, like what happened in Seattle, and be like, oh, like I can't believe they did it. That's why they lost the game. But it's like so many other bad breaks or mistakes and whatever that it just they compound and that turns it into a, like a win or a loss. So yeah, I mean, it's just, I think it's just too narrow-minded and short-sighted to just look at one play and say, like, oh, this got them the win or this cost them the game. It's like, you have to look at the whole 60 minutes and see what happened. Yeah, I think that's a really good point because had the Rams not won the game, everybody would still be looking toward that final drive. But there were those, I believe, three drives consecutively in the third, perhaps into the fourth quarter, where they had to start right around midfield, and they went three and out consistently. Yeah, they did nothing. And those are wasted opportunities. I mean, you get one or two first downs in your field goal range. If you can make anything of that drive, you're going to walk away with a touchdown or two. To come up empty-handed didn't end up costing them. But to your point, looking at games holistically can provide, I think, a much better perspective than just focusing on one or two plays that moved the scoreboard, maybe didn't ultimately have the most influence over how things played out over the course of 60 minutes. Well, that's why I was saying in the beginning how it's the game, like on paper, seemed like it was closer than it was. And it, maybe to phrase it is more exciting than it was because it's true. There was a lot of nothing happening for quite a while. Um, yeah, so again, it wasn't the most exciting game, but I guess the only thing that kept it interesting was it did stay pretty close the whole time. Like it was never a blowout in any direction. One thing that kept me engaged throughout, and I appreciate you uh, just humoring me throughout the game, was trying to grade bets as things mm. came out in real time. Had a total of 36 prop bets on the Super Bowl, and I've had quite a few before, but that was a new record high for me. I think the biggest takeaway, though, stick to the game. I would have been much better served with just 35 props. I ended up losing on a bet where I laid minus 650. That's six and a half to one on the no for will a player propose to his girlfriend on the field after the game taylor rap on the rams ended up doing that and it just feels so stupid to lose a bet like that like why am i putting myself in a spot where such a you know amazing moment comes up for this couple and i'm just begrudgingly chalking it up as a loss to my bankroll and really it's a virtually impossible handicap yeah, I was just going to say, like, at least the game, as unpredictable as humans are, there are rules to the game, there are stats to the game. Who, who's to say? I mean, everyone could propose to someone. <laughs> it could be like, you could have 20 proposals, you could have zero. There's no, like, way to analyze that or predict it. So it's just not worth putting money against it. Yeah, lesson learned. I mean, I just saw the price of six and a half to one. I'm like, I feel like it should be 65 to one or so on the note. But, the you know, any perceived value in that bet is just totally outweighed by the humiliation of losing it. So I'm going to own that and learn my lesson. And to your point about a lot of bets just, you know, being more bound to the game itself, I mean, there was a time when Joe Mixon threw that touchdown pass. I was like, all right, probably going to be a losing Super Bowl. I think I said those mm -hmm. words to you because I also took a big loss uh, laying 6-1 to one on no non-quarterback to throw a touchdown pass. And I had done my research on that one, at least. I can stomach that result. Yeah. I know in the Super Bowl, we tend to see more creative plays. Coaches will empty the playbook. Totally get it. I was it. just going to say. But in the regular season, I would have to look. I did the research before placing the bet. I believe four plays resulted in touchdown passes from non-quarterbacks. And just running the probability, I'm like, okay, if in the Super Bowl, it is 10 times as likely that a non-quarterback passes for a touchdown, those odds still showed value. 
So just playing the percentages, I'm going to think twice about that again in the future, but I could stomach a loss when it related to the game being played between the lines. Do you think it had anything to do with these clearly not being in the two highest ranking best teams playing? So it's like, of course they would have some, like they'd have a little more of these like kind of uh, unexpected plays just because they have to dig a little deeper. Like I don't think you'd see like a Tom Brady led team doing something like that because you have freaking Tom Brady. And, you know, all of his weapons. But this these teams, it felt like they kind of had to, to your point, empty the playbook because they have no other option. Yeah, it's an interesting point. I feel like if that play went awry, like if Mixon just missed a wide-open receiver and they wasted it down and got a field goal instead of a touchdown there, or if he threw an interception, everybody's saying, hey, you've got Joe Burrow and Jamar Chase mm-hmm. and T. Higgins who caught the touchdown pass. But, you know, the passing offense the Bengals have been running – was still highly regarded. I think Burrow's a great player, but I think some of these comparisons to Tom Brady after they beat the Chiefs who advanced to the Super Bowl may be a bit premature. There's a lot to love about Burrow. I think he's got a very bright future, very easy to root for, but it's a case kind of like the Pete Carroll exoneration I was throwing out there earlier where people are going to judge it based on the result. Since it worked out, it's a really clever play call, caught the defense off guard. Had it not worked out, I think there's that backlash similar to what you said about if it were Tom Brady, where it's like, hey, you just took the ball out of Joe Burrow's hands when you had a rare crack at a touchdown in the Super Bowl. Even if it doesn't work, though, don't you still think it puts something in the opposing team's minds of like, oh, they can try anything. So I feel like it's still a risk worth taking because – it's that element of surprise. Like, yeah, it didn't work out, but then they might be thinking, like, what else do they have up mm-hmm. their sleeve? Yeah, and I've heard that Belichick does that sometimes. Um, again, another Tom Brady throwback, but with the Patriots, I believe he was known to do things once the game was kind of decided just to put things on tape, yeah. knowing teams are doing advanced scouting, or it can just, you know, skew the numbers a little bit if it's one extra thing a team has to prepare for that he would never really do in a key situation, but just throw off the team's tendencies if, you know, scouts are looking at box scores and percentages or, or really crazy plays. I think you're onto something there. So, you know, I, I can live with the mix and loss. I'm still kicking myself. I probably won't stop kicking myself for that stupid bet on a proposal. It's kind of this year's version of the boat we touched on last year with a fan running on the field. It's like, you can think you have a mathematical edge, but when you're laying that much, that big loss is probably going to be rare. But when it happens, it's way more impactful than any good feeling of small wins over the course of the years in which those bets cash. Overall, I, I just think that Outside of that proposal bet, I probably put together my sharpest, most resilient Super Bowl portfolio I ever have. I mean, to overcome a big loss on that Joe Mixon touchdown pass and still cover it with room to spare until that proposal, that was still not going to be my best NFL game from, you know, just a pure dollars one standpoint that I've ever had. But it was going to be really good. And to overcome, you know, a big loss on the Mixon touchdown pass, I was really proud of that. And then to lose it the way I did all over again. Uh, just pretty humiliating, and I think that the overall takeaway for me as a better was I think I'm pretty good at handicapping. I know I'm better at curating information from really sharp people and executing bets, so moving forward, I'm just going to stay in my lane and try to dodge any questions in future Super Bowls like this one leading up to it where you even had to ask me at one point why I was so obsessed with this proposal prop. It's almost like I knew I shouldn't have done it all along. Yeah, that should be the name of this episode, Stay in Your Lane. (laughs) Yeah. <laughs> Which is, brings the question of why am I here? <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love it. Well, you are here because... This is this, not my lane. <laughs> this is definitely a lane that you can dip into from time to time. You're selling yourself short, and we can also talk about things from more of a fan perspective. Mm-hmm. 
not just the game itself. I think a lot of points you brought up were really smart there. But being in L.A., you know, we live here. We got our first Super Bowl since we've lived together in mm-hmm. the L.A. area. And one of the things we did before the game itself was go to the Super Bowl experience. Every host city gets that. Um, I have friends who aren't even big football fans, but like when the Super Bowl 50 was in the Bay Area, they checked it out. Like it's a really fun thing for, you know, pretty much all levels of fans and fans of all ages. How would you describe our trip to Super Bowl experience the Saturday before the game? I mean, if you want the fun of Disneyland, and by fun I mean of Disneyland, it's like if you want to wait in line for a really long time for everything, this is the experience for you. We underestimated, I think, how <laughs> how many lines there would be for things. Um, so it's fun, but I would definitely recommend getting there early. Like we got there for what one o'clock, mm-hmm. and it took us a half an hour just to get inside. And I, some of that's COVID protocol stuff. LA is obviously been notoriously strict this whole time but um you know it's like everything there was just a long wait for it it was awesome like i would definitely do it again but i would go earlier because we really only had time to do like one real activity which was throwing a football through um what was it the o and the low sign it, it's cooler than it sounds but it was it was fun <laughs> <laughs> you got you got it through and you won a bucket but um, that's right but, you know, I would have liked to do, like, maybe two other activities, and we really only had time for that one. Um, but, you know, they had some cool they had some cool things you didn't have to wait in line for. And if you wanted to shop, like, that was cool. It was kind of a bummer that it wasn't at the stadium, because I still haven't been to SoFi Stadium. This is at the convention center. So I would have liked to see it at the stadium, too, because I think then you could have actually just also the experience of walking around a whole stadium, because right now we were in a convention center, so... Aside from the exhibits, it's not like the facility itself was fun to walk around. So I think that was lacking. But having said that, I think we both walked away saying, like, we definitely do it again and allow a lot more time for it. I think the main takeaway here is that some of us leading up to the Super Bowl win our division in a half marathon run on trails. And others of us throw a football through an O and win a bucket. Yeah. So Who's it's all to a wash in the better? end. <laughs> Yeah, but thinking about the experience, when I was a kid, I remember going to one in San Diego, back when San Diego had a team and a stadium that could accommodate a Super Bowl, and I do think I recall it being held at the stadium. You know, mostly in the parking lot, we weren't walking on the field or inside the stadium, but I do agree with that vibe of being in the area where you know the game itself is about to be played. I think the convention center setup was just fine, but before the venue was announced, I was hoping it would be at SoFi Stadium. Um, just having a chance to be in the area, there, there's something a little extra about that. But it was a cool event. And to your point about the lines, things taking a while to get in, if we are even still in a pandemic this time next year, kind of get the feeling that in Arizona, when they're hosting the Super Bowl, not going to be the same kind of logistical issues for people getting in and out. No, LA's been tough. Yeah, well, one thing that was not tough at all, kicking back, you mentioned the halftime show, having really high expectations and those being met. Mm -hmm. Um, How would you describe where this halftime show ranks when you think of other Super Bowl halftime shows that you've witnessed? Oh, for me, this is pretty much at the top. I think it's also, it's hard to compete because they had, what was it, five really big I mean, was it five of them? Uh, Snoop, Dre, Eminem, Mary J. Blige. They had also said Kendrick Lamar. And then Fiddy crashed yeah, the party, so, so six. Like six. I mean, it's kind of hard to compete when you have like six top performers all playing. That's the thing, too, what I like. They all played their best song, like their most known songs. Um, yeah, I mean, this one's super high for me. I think, like we've talked about before, it sounds silly, but like 
Bruno Mars was the most surprising to me because I had incredibly low expectations for that halftime show, and I actually really thought he did a good job. This one, my expectations were super high, and they were met. So I think that feels even more satisfying, sort of like I I just wasn't sure if I'd be let down, and I've actually watched it since, even on YouTube afterwards, because like, I just had to see it again, and that was really fun. It's also, I think everyone liked it, or the people who did like it, I don't know if everyone liked it, but... For all of us who did like it, I think everyone found it nostalgic. Like, my parents were saying it was nostalgic. My sister and I, again, a totally different generation, said it was nostalgic. There was just something, like, fun about hearing all these songs you knew from these artists. And they're all, what, their 40s and 50s? I think Kendrick Lamar is probably younger. But, like, these are all also, like, these aren't the youngest performers. And they were awesome. They looked good. They sounded good. Um, the sets were great. I think, yeah, I, I just, there was nothing disappointing watching it to me. I think something that was really cool, and I forget who I heard say this, but I thought it was a good point. To your point, the sets looked good, and they pulled off a really good show in addition to playing fun music, but they didn't do anything too over the top. Sometimes with a Super Bowl halftime show like Katy Perry on The Mechanical Tiger, it's like, what are we doing here? too desperate. This was really cool, but it wasn't over the top. It felt really real. Well, even rewatching it, too, it was also really well, like, it was so choreographed and even just structured, like, even when, um... Dre and Snoop Dogg were started it. I didn't realize that they ended right above um, 50 Cent's thing, so they were pointing out to him, and then it went to him. Like, everything about it was really smooth and well thought out, and mm-hmm. the set, all of it was used, which I think, to your point, with like, the Katy Pears, or even, um, didn't Coldplay do it? And it was just a bunch of flowers and weird stuff. Like, it was kind of like, why? Like, nothing was really served a purpose, but this whole set was also, like, utility, but it looked good, so I, I just think... Um, it had good vibes. Everything was very purposeful and planned. And I think that's what made it feel like it wasn't desperate and attention-seeking. Like, honestly, like, they didn't need to do this show at all. Like, these are all very established people. And, like, the fact that they all came together and were like, if we're going to do this, we're going to do it 100%. I think that's what I really appreciated. Yeah, I mean, as a white guy who's never really lived in the inner city, I feel like this was as geared to me as it possibly could have been, excluding those couple factors, because growing up in Southern California, you know, this being the LA Super Bowl, that music, I was in on it from the moment that the artists were announced, but it's really cool to hear. I mean, your family's in New York, multiple generations, like, to me, it's a throwback to good times in high school, Mm -hmm. but for people, you know all over the country, you know, different stages of their life. It's just a lot of iconic songs in your point. They all, I think, really brought their A-game. I would say that I agree with your point that having really high expectations for this one and really having those met made it unique in my eyes. Bruno Mars is the other one that comes to mind for me where I, that's the other one that I've probably enjoyed the most as it was happening. When they announced Bruno Mars, I was just like, why are they having the guy from the Twilight song do the Super Bowl halftime? And he came out and rocked. I mean, he was kind of like a new age michael jackson for most of his show and that just has me thinking i wish that at the time i would have had a deeper appreciation for you know artists like prince or bruce springsteen and the e street band when they did theirs or even michael jackson i believe did an epic halftime show at the rose bowl before i was really of age to watch the super bowl so there have been some great ones you know some all-timers but you know if i can't definitively say this is the best i at least think it's on the short list with the very best we've ever seen Um, one of the things that wasn't the most exciting that we've ever seen that's Super Bowl related every year, the parade. I don't know if you saw any clips today or heard any reports. I think about seven people might have attended. Really? 
Oh, that's so sad. So, yeah, I mean, there there are certainly shots that show, you know, decent-sized crowds, but I've seen videos of people panning around the downtown area. Again, it was downtown, not by the stadium. Yeah. It's kind of a quintessential L.A. dilemma right now. The Rams, I believe their team headquarters are in the Thousand Oaks area, which is oh. like a good hour from where they play. And the stadium in Inglewood is a good hour in traffic from downtown where the parade was held. So part of it might be things being so spread out. I mean, it's a Wednesday afternoon. But yeah, yeah um, not the same kind of parade that we got last year with Tom Brady throwing the Lombardi Trophy from one boat to another to hit Gronk for, you know, one more epic Brady to Gronk completion that season. Yeah, and that's where I get the people who are also rooting for the Bengals because you know Cincinnati would have turned up big time. I mean, they got Monday off, win or lose. So that's where I get the people hating on LA winning because they knew we wouldn't appreciate it as much and they were right. Yeah, well, one more thing on the Super Bowl I'd like to touch on because of this being branded like a Hollywood Super Bowl at times. We can suspend disbelief a little bit and pretend like Inglewood, where the game is played, is as close to Hollywood as they let on. If this Super Bowl matchup and the game that you saw were a movie, being the movie buff that you are, which movie would you compare this game to? Like a recent movie or any movie? Any movie. I'll give you a moment to think about it. I've got one that came to mind pretty quickly for me, and it is a recent one, and that would be Licorice Pizza. Mm -hmm. Between the L.A. setting, I think it tries to hit a fun, very nostalgic vibe. Even before the Super Bowl, they, you know, played up that the Super Bowl is coming back to its birthplace after Super Bowl one at the Coliseum. But at the same time, as much as I wanted to really get into the matchup and embrace that it was the Super Bowl, I was never, you know, as fully bought in as I've been in years past. And that's kind of like the movie. It was, I think, our first time in a theater together in a yeah. couple of years. And we had heard great things about this movie. I don't know if it's that, you know, the girl was so much older than the guy or, or just some of the stuff that happened. There was a little bit weirder off where, like, it was fun and, and definitely had a good vibe, but just never really got me fully bought in. So I guess that's the best comp I would have. Oh, yeah, that's a good one. Yeah, that movie, I mean, like, so that... I- I liked the vibe of it, but yeah, I think it. I would have liked it more if we didn't have such a big age difference, and to the point where they were like illegal age. I mean, if <laughs> he was eighteen and she was twenty-seven, fine. I mean, whatever. Or if they were both just like in high school or something, it wouldn't be weird. But the more you thought about them, more you're like, is this kind of creepy? But like, I was rooting for them, and then as I thought about it, and the movie went on longer, I'm like, I don't feel like I should be rooting for them. This is, this is not legal and kind of strange. Um, but, you know, that's a different thing. Um, as far as this matchup, I don't know. I, I, I want to think about that. Think about it. I'll come back to you in a minute. Keep that in the back of your mind, but let's shift gears from the Super Bowl a bit and zoom out to the fact that last year when we were having this conversation, you know, same time Wednesday evening after the Super Bowl, right here at our home bar, we were pretty much on lockdown in L.A. I mean... We couldn't get out and do much, if anything, at all. And so I'm wondering, if you think back to the past year, and it can be any sport, what's your most memorable game viewing experience in the last year? Oh, I mean, it's got to be those playoff games that we were talking about. Because also, we were able to go out and watch them, which was really fun. We watched some at home, but then we also, like the Green Bay one we were out for. um, Yeah, San Francisco, Green Bay. Yeah, and then even the um, Tennessee one we were out yeah, for. Yeah, we were at Highland Park Brewery yeah, for we... Tennessee, Cincinnati. Yeah, so I think, I mean, that to me, because we were super into those games and it was fun having the option to go out and watch them. So I think, yeah, I think that weekend really stands out in my mind. 
Yeah, I'll throw out a few things that come to mind while you can think about your movie to equate the Super Bowl to. And I'm just pumped that there are so many options that come to mind immediately, because last year at this time, there hadn't really been much of anything for a while. Um, Conference Championship Sunday, just personally, for me, was a high getting to work with Dave Damashek and Evan Rosenblum on a live, uh, you know, endgame betting kind of broadcast, kind of like the Manning cast concept geared towards sports betting. It was just such a joy to work with those guys and the whole production team. And we got two really good games back to back. After such an epic division round, we kind of thought, how could anything be this good? Those games were really good. They held their own. Also, going back farther, almost the full year, last March, uh, right around my birthday, we went to Vegas and got to watch USC dismantle Kansas in basketball uh, to advance. I believe that was how USC advanced to the Sweet 16. And we watched that at the sports book at Circa. That was our first time there. That screen and book they have was just incredible. And that was also kind of a first of its kind experience since the pandemic began. So that was really special. Going to an Angels game with you and a few of my coworkers, we saw Shohei Otani hit two home runs and we had really good field level seats. So that was a really fun experience. But I would say at the top of the list, I would have to put our trip to spring training last March. Mm. Lowest stakes, uh, nothing like conference championship Sunday in the NFL or March Madness. But that was our first game walking back into a stadium. I think our first time seeing a live sporting event. And it's so silly, but for me, having gone to spring training a lot as a kid, just being back there for the first time in so long and you know, the world had changed a lot since the last time we were there. Um, there was something just really oddly meaningful about that experience. And it's just such a fun vibe to go to a spring training game. The stakes are so much lower, but it's kind of a free for all. Everybody's chill and having a good time. So getting that for the first time in so long, about 11 months ago now, that was a really awesome experience. So those are what I'd nominate as some of the best game viewing experiences in the last year. So glad that we have those back in our lives. And as I wrap that up, I want to see if you have uh, any thought to uh, answer that question about the movie. I was thinking of something like kind of wise ass, but um, kind of riffing off of your question. But I was thinking like, don't the Rams sort of feel like a mix of, I had to see who the front runner is for the Oscars, maybe Power of the Dog or Licorice Pizza versus like the Bengals being like (laughs) 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 Spider-Man. And it's a thing of like, okay, like, the one that probably, because Spider-Man obviously isn't nominated for Best Picture, even though it's the thing kind of like everyone is sort of rooting for and enjoyed, and it's just like the fun story, and there was that whole campaign to get it nominated for Best Picture, but you know, like the smaller movies, the artier ones, obviously like LA, an LA story, like Licorice Pizza, like get nominated and no one will care <laughs> when they win, so I kind of feel like it's like the Oscar movie versus the popular, you know, big Marvel MCU movie. That's kind of, it's like a kind of a riff on your, your question, but that's kind of what I was thinking. I'm like, oh, the fan favorite, which now they're, the Oscars are doing some Twitter poll to pick like favorite movie, which mm-hmm. is different than Best Picture, which seems kind of like a desperate attempt to get people to watch the Oscars, but it seems like that's sort of Bengal territory. And then the Best Picture frontrunners are nominated are kind of like Rams territory. And so no matter what happens, it will not be as popular as the (laughs) Spider-Man movie this year. There's no Casablanca in the mix. We can safely say that. Oh, no. Well, as we tie a bow around this past season, I wanted to also see if you had any just general thoughts looking back at the whole 2021 season, any favorite parts. I mean, I assume the divisional round in particular was the ultimate highlight capped off by that Chiefs-Bills game. But any other overall thoughts on this past season? Um... No, I mean, I just, I can't remember 
seeing not just a game that was so exciting, but a string of games that were that exciting, especially the last couple of years. You would think with COVID, like more people, there was nothing to do for so long. We watching games, but kind of felt like I was out of it. And then this season, it just like brought me back in because there was just such a good level of play and every game was close and fun. Um, but no, I mean, I think, again, what stood out is it felt like football was back, like people were in the stands again. Like it just felt more normal. Like last year did feel stranger. And I think, I wonder if that was also a mix of it, right? You couldn't go watch the games anywhere. Then you turn on your TV and no one's there watching. So it, it does maybe have some like subconscious sort of message to you of like, you don't need to watch this. Like there's no one here. <laughs> there's nothing <laughs> happening. <laughs> um, so I think just like the vibe felt back. Um, this year and again um, they put together a really good show it was fun that LA was in it it was taking place in LA and it was an LA halftime act like that was all really fun um, so yeah I just think it like it, it the whole last month like ended with a real bang and I guess now we have to see where everyone's gonna go right like Tom Brady's done he's retired I don't know if Aaron Rodgers is staying with Green Bay I don't know if Russell Wilson's staying with Seattle so I think now what's gonna stand out is like what does next year look like? It could be very different. Yeah, I think that's a good point and a good transition. Looking ahead a little bit, I mean, selfishly as a Chargers fan, I, I would hope that um, after a heartbreaking loss to end the regular season in Las Vegas, that was a pretty epic game down to the wire. It was really encouraging to see that they seem to have their quarterback of the mm-hmm. future, Justin Herbert. Their new head coach, Brandon Staley, I thought did a really good job in his first year pretty aggressive but I think everything grounded in a pretty sound process and even adding you know a guy like Rashawn Slater who they took in the first round last year finally a good anchor for years to come on the offensive line they've got Bosa just wrecking things on the defensive line a lot of good pieces in place time for them to build around it and you know fill in some of the holes that's all I'll say about the Chargers for now but in a forward-looking sense feel fairly optimistic about their horizon And the other L.A. team, obviously having just won the Super Bowl, I mean, for the Rams, I feel like it might be a case of, like, no draft picks, no cap space, no problem in the NFC. You touched on Brady retiring, Mm -hmm. Rodgers maybe being on the move. Um, I did the BetUS NFL show earlier today as we record this on Wednesday evening with Las Vegas Chris and Scott Kellen. Scott's a big Packers fan. He tends to have a pretty good read on things. I think he's pretty objective, not just, you know— showing his emotions too much for the Packers, but he does feel quite confident Rodgers is going to stay put. Hmm. Um, Similarly with Wilson, a lot of talk about him maybe moving, but he seems convinced that Wilson's going to stay. So the NFC might not become as wide open as it could be, but still for the Rams, I mean, this was the year they went all in, and it paid off. They won the Super Bowl. You can't knock that. But my thought for a while was, oh, this better work for them this year, because if it doesn't, there's going to be hell to pay for the years that follow. And it's looking like things still might line up for them pretty decently once again next season. So, you know, the benefits of being in the NFC these days, because if you look at the Bengals and the AFC, a lot of people might think, hey, it's Burrow's second year. They had a big improvement year over year. Young head coach, they'll be back. And I've heard quite a few people, I think, you know, aptly so, saying not so fast to that notion. Because in that same conference, we've got Patrick Mahomes, we've got Josh Allen, we've got Justin Herbert, Lamar Jackson's won an MVP, and he should be a lot healthier next year, along with the rest of his Ravens teammates. The Bengals now, having won their division, going to draw a first-place schedule of opponents, so just you know a step up in class in terms of who they're playing in the draft. They're going to be picking late in the first round for the first time. I can never really recall 
So they got the rookie of the year, Jamar Chase, at the top of this past year's draft. They were also in the running to maybe take Penny Sewell, who was the top offensive line prospect. That's not going to be available to them as they continue to try to fill in some holes on this team. I know it's weird to say there are holes on a team that just played in the Super Bowl and was really close to winning, but the Bengals were 10-7 and in the regular season. They got outgained by the Raiders, Titans, and Chiefs in the first three playoff games they won. Some turnover luck there. Don't want to knock them too much, but also not going to assume that they're going to be back in it anytime soon just because they made it this year. I want to ask you one trivia question about the losing quarterback of the Super Bowl this year, kind of like what we did last year. Maybe that's the tradition, um, something related to the quarterback of the losing team. You had a phenomenal guest last year when I asked you how much Patrick Mahomes had to scramble behind the line of scrimmage on his dropbacks for pass attempts. I believe the correct answer was 497 yards and you guessed 500. So that was incredible. No pressure this time around. Um, I'll give you a little bit of context here, but the question I want to ask you is how many times was Joe Burrow sacked this season? You kind of touched on it earlier. He gets sacked a lot. So we'll look at this season, regular season, including the playoffs, and just a few things to consider. He was sacked seven times in the Super Bowl, nine nine times times, in the divisional round against Tennessee. League average is two to two and a half per game. But those seven in the Super Bowl, nine at Tennessee, obviously outliers. Keeping those numbers in mind a bit, Considering in the regular season, the playoffs, they played 21 total games. If you were just to surmise a guess, how many times was Joe Burrow sacked this season? Right, because in a normal season, you'd be like 21 times two. But he ooh. has, yeah, but, ooh. Um, uh, he feels like Andrew Luck to me, who kept getting sacked. That's exactly what I was going to say, regardless <laughs> of your answer to this question. So we'll get there. Oh, okay. Because we'll I don't know. Is Let's it like 50? <laughs> okay. He was sacked 70 times. Oh, my God. 50 is like a lot. And yeah. you tack on 20 more. And that's where I think the Andrew Luck comparison is so good. So the, the number that you guessed this year, not as Super close as wrong. last year. But the parallel before you even threw a number out there, I think, was spot on. Because Burrow, again, so easy to root for. A number one overall draft pick, uh, I believe, just like 70. Andrew Luck was. And if this continues, I mean, he's already, he tore his ACL that ended last season. In the Super Bowl, he suffered a knee injury that probably would have sidelined him for a bit if this were a regular season game. I think earlier reports are that he won't need surgery, but he suffered a knee sprain. And if this keeps happening, it's just going to be such a bummer because he's only two years in and he's so fun to watch. And they have, you know, Jamar Chase was so good. There's a lot to like about this offense, but if they can't protect him, then that's where I think the Andrew Luck parallel is so spot on by you. Yeah, he just retired way early i mean also andrew luck is super freaking smart he can do anything um it's like why bother oh wow 70 yeah how did they even get to the super bowl i don't that's that's amazing yeah i mean one of the reasons that i was looking toward the rams on the money line the price never dropped as low as i thought it would so i didn't pull the trigger i wish i had that kind of restraint when it came to the stupid proposal prop bet didn't pull the trigger on the rams um but I knew that, you know, all the sacks and then the Bengals, every game they won in the playoffs before the Super Bowl, mm-hmm. in either the final minute of regulation or in overtime, they had an interception. And those turnovers, I mean, you kind of equated sacks to turnovers mm-hmm. earlier. I think when you're getting those turnovers, um, you know, those are just game-changing plays at the highest leverage moments. There's, of course, some skill there. I don't want to knock them too much, but that's just what has me doubting their ability to necessarily get back. I don't think we can assume it. 
and I'm worrying about how much we can assume for Joe Burrow's longevity. I think the Bengals are well aware of this. They're going to do all they can to get him some protection. And in recent years, I think we've also seen that quarterbacks uh, generally bear more responsibility for sacks than we've traditionally thought. Mm -hmm. People used to think, oh, the offensive line sucks. Because they hold on to it too long. Yeah, so yes, that's the offensive line is a huge part of it, but the quarterback's ability to get rid of the ball quickly, also a part of it. And Burrow, to his credit, when he gets blitzed, he makes quick decisions and very smart decisions, and he's very productive in those moments. So I don't want to just throw him under the bus here and say it's really his fault no, in any way, it's but it's, it's part of it. In that game, he held on the ball way too long. Yeah, I mean, some of the best can still do it. So um, whether or not the Bengals get back to this stage, I just hope that Joe Burrow can have a longer career than Andrew Luck. Yeah, me too. Good parallel by you. Thank you. Yeah, see, you can, you can definitely get in this lane from time to time. Um, one other lane that we can dive into beyond the props, weaving in the hops here, some big news uh, right after the Super Bowl on Monday, we saw that Modern Times, a big brewery originated in San Diego, but a really big presence across the West Coast and even more of the country, I think, in recent years, decided to close half of their retail locations in L.A., Santa Barbara, Oakland, and Portland. They've got tap rooms that will be closing, um, I believe, by the end of this week. So by the time a lot of people are hearing this, those locations may be no more. And Modern Times cited the pandemic, as well as a general decline in sales in the beer industry. I, I think that it's a bummer, and, and nobody ever wants to see this. I mean, 73 jobs lost because of this, and, yeah. and that's a real impact. So... Um, you know, I, I hope a lot of their very talented staff, it's a great brewery, so I hope these people can land on their feet and um, we'll certainly be pulling for them. But at the same time, just zooming out a bit, you had kind of talked about when they were in the process of expanding before the pandemic, before the decline in sales. I feel like you had a pretty good read on just how ambitious some of that expansion was from the outset. Well, I remember when we were in Portland, this was what, three, three and a half years ago? Maybe it's exactly like three years ago. Um, and we saw their the new build-out for Portland. It, I think we were a week ahead of it opening, so we had just missed it. And I remember saying to you, like, oh, it looks really good. And then you had said, like, oh, they're opening up a bunch of other locations too. And I go, why? <laughs> like, they were just expanding. And they were doing it all at once. It wasn't like, okay, Portland, and then, like, a year later, another one. Like, they were doing, I think, three or four at one time. And they were all kind of close together. I mean, it was in the same area, and it just felt like too much too fast. Um, so it's, it's sad. And then, you know, COVID, obviously no one really predicted, but I think even without COVID, I'm sure at least one or two of them would have closed anyway. That's where I wonder about, you know, citing reasons, of course, like any retail business has been greatly affected these last couple of years. And that's nobody's fault for not anticipating. But I think of the Warren Buffett adage, be scared when other people are greedy and be greedy when other people are scared. And I feel like modern times is you know, just from what I've read, and I have done some research on this, but I don't want to pretend like I'm an insider and know as much as them, so they could refute this probably if they wanted to. What I gathered was a lot of the expansion was rooted in kind of extrapolating projections when things were going about as well as they possibly could have, you know, and then as soon as anything happens and things get a little bit more fragile, that can put you in a tough spot. So I just, I feel bad because they make some world-class beers and then some stuff they make that's yeah. not world-class. It's still really solid and just widely available, well-priced. And I think they do a really good job with that. Their locations that they do have for the most part are really fun, especially in San Diego. Uh, the Anaheim spot is fun. I'm glad they're keeping that open. Yeah. LA was never really our our vibe with the, the way they built that out. Yeah, even the, the name, name alone was yeah, douchey. The name was nauseating. So, um, you know, I, I just think that 
some of it might have been being greedy when other people were greedy instead mm-hmm. of you know going the other way as Buffett said. Um, and then I, I also think that you know to their defense, some of this stuff we've seen so much over the last couple of years about measures to you know, I'm going to choose my words carefully here, but limit the amount of positive tests and hospitalizations, ICU stays and deaths. And there's a lot of merit. That's obviously a noble thing to try to do. And and keeping people safe is, you know, kind of the whole ball game in a sense. But some of those measures have real costs that are harder to quantify at times. And I think seeing, you know, 73 jobs here, you know, that's the tip of the iceberg in the beer industry, let alone a lot of other industries, just starting to see some of those costs become a little bit more quantifiable. I also think there's a bit of a parallel to the Bengals this morning. We got news. They extended their head coach, Zach Taylor, for four years. Mm -hmm. And he was going into the last year of his deal. So I know that um, he was going to get some sort of extension. But four years for a coach who I believe is still... 16 and 32 in the regular season again they were 10 and 7 this year they went to the super bowl a lot of credits due to them but i I just kind of wonder how long that's going to last this might be a case you know good for taylor you know take the deal when you've got the leverage but i'll be kind of surprised if four years down the road you know the Bengals aren't in the market for a new coach some of this just like expanding extending guys like it's getting a little bit ambitious when things are at their peak i don't know if they're fully anticipating the fact that reality you know might strike in next year if the ravens are healthier if the steelers have a good quarterback if the browns can get a quarterback who can play then suddenly that division looks a lot different than it did this past year mm-hmm. one silver lining to the hop side of things tough news for modern times but it is plenty of the younger season We'll be getting Pliny the Younger on. on Thursday evening at the legendary Tony's Darts Away, um, a great California craft beer bar in Burbank. And to that end, I think a lot of excitement about you know that beer getting back on draft. Last year, Russian River, the brewery that makes the beer, um, didn't host events or send kegs around to their you know distribution accounts. They just bottled it and it had a big online sale. So to get it back on draft, you know this will be Tony's first event in two years. Really cool to get back into that side of things. And as I get so amped up for that, in my mind, I'm wondering if you have a favorite beer-related experience in the last year. I know you don't drink much at all, but, you know, it's fun still hanging with you at bars and breweries and just, you know, different gatherings that are now fortunately back in the fold for us. So any highlights along those lines over the past year that come to mind? I liked going to the new Monkish location because it's near, um, what's that food? Healthy Junk. No, no, but like the, what's the whole oh, complex Oh, the packing called? district. The packing district in Anaheim. in Anaheim. That is very cool. Um, so I like their new location. And then I also liked um, when you brought beers to Yosemite for Christmas. That mm-hmm. was fun. We had a lot of snow and like hanging out, drinking in like the cozy lodge. That was really fun. Yeah, it's so nice. I, I like those too because, you know, Monkish has a new spot in Anaheim and that's just an IPA powerhouse and... They finally got this location open, and um, it was really cool to check it out. Really great build out, to your point, good location. But also on the other side of the spectrum, just packing some of our own beers and going away to a really cool destination and drinking stuff that you know was frankly way better than anything we could have bought within hours of that lodge. Um, and just on Christmas in the snow, mm-hmm. kind of the setting, bring it all together so many times. You know, when I had handicapper Adam Chernoff on the show recently, he talked a lot about how a drinking experience is so much more than what you're actually drinking. And I think of that, you know, it's Christmas. We're, you know, we're getting a white Christmas in Yosemite at, you know, our favorite lodge there, hanging together in the lobby, got a good seat by their big Christmas tree. Like sometimes that stuff just 
adds a lot to take it over the top. So I think it's fun that, you know, again, we had booked that same hotel for Christmas 2020 and we weren't able to do it. So to get Mm -hmm. to do it properly this year, uh, you know, just really felt right. So I'm right there with you. And as we get fairly close to the hour mark, just a few more questions hitting the home stretch to wrap things up. Um, I've, I've kind of half jokingly said that you're the unofficial executive producer of this show in the past. Um, but I'd say it's half joking at most because you do have a real role here. Your judgment is so valuable. Anytime I want to bounce anything off of you, um, you always steer things in the right direction. And to that end, if I kind of think of it as props and hops season one was the 2020 NFL season, season two was the 2021 season that just wrapped. This is kind of an unofficial kickoff of season three, if you will, but with two football seasons in the books for this show, and you have been a vital part of it. How would you kind of compare season one to season two? Uh, I like that of your show, you mean? Yeah, I like that you've done more interviews now. I think mm-hmm. that can keep going because you know a lot of great people and have a lot of good insight. And it's also kind of nice talking to other people who speak your language and the language of your listeners. So I think that's a good thing to focus on more of going forward. Um, and especially like in the betting world, it's nice to get other perspectives too and hear what... what um, you know, analytics and stats of other people are looking into their do's and don'ts, just like how you had the takeaway of maybe sticking to the game and not so much the external stuff. Like, <laughs> that's valuable and it's worth sharing. And I'd also just genuinely like interviews. So I think that's like a nice improvement. Thank you. Yeah. And I think that your good taste in interviews, even on podcasts that have nothing to do with sports or betting or beer, it kind of was a good nudge for me in that direction. And one thing I'll try to do, um, I mean, I was very humbled at some of my favorite people in the betting space. I've been following for years. A lot of them have big followings. Mostly were really chill and said yes and came on the show and have been in touch, you know, when we weren't recording the interview. It's been so awesome. But also thinking, you know, there are a lot of people out there who, you know, don't know who all these people are. They don't follow the biggest names there are people that don't have as big of a following. Maybe they handicap tennis or golf or soccer really well and trying to think not just really get deep in terms of my favorite NFL handicappers and, you know, the major sports, but also get broader with people who I can meet. Maybe they don't have the biggest followings. Maybe these episodes won't do, you know, the biggest download numbers. But having those conversations, I think really opening it up. So if somebody's not a really savvy NFL better or a huge craft beer fan, you know, trying to continue to make things as accessible as possible. I can be analytical to a fault. I love to nerd out on this stuff. And anybody who shares these passions, I will talk all day, any day about it. Um, but trying to make it so that, you know, if if our family members are listening who aren't the biggest beer fans or betters, you know, there's still something maybe in it for them. Or if people are fans of other sports, you know, there are other avenues to go down, especially with football being over. So the, uh, yeah, that nudge in the direction of more interviews, definitely something going to look to build on moving forward. Another question I had to make sure to ask you tonight would be circling back on something you brought up last year when we had this conversation. You expanded on the concept Annie Duke wrote in her book, Thinking in Bets, that everything is a bet. And to that end, I'd like to know what you consider can be totally not related to sports. What's the best bet that you've made in the last year? Oh, I mean, I think it, it, you know, obviously it's been hard just because I'm not thinking of sports right now, but like in real world, making any kind of bets in this, like now we're almost going to enter the third year of this pandemic or whatever. Um, But I think we made really good bets booking um, Yellowstone for this mm-hmm. past summer, of summer August of 21, 
And then also booking um, Yosemite for Christmas of 21. But we booked those really far out. And it seemed almost ridiculous at the time. I mean, the first one was even like before vaccine. Um, just because we're like, eh, we can always cancel it. But like, let's let's make a bet and like roll the dice, like plan out all these vacations we didn't know if we could even take. But what was good is, I mean, you saw like not just national parks had a big boom to visitation, but just summer travel and holiday travel in general was nuts. So we couldn't even have gone to those places if we had waited to the last minute. So I like that we just like planned ahead and like thought positively, but it's also that thing of like, okay, what would the downside have been? We postpone or cancel. So I just liked thinking positive, looking to the future and knowing that we could adjust if needed, but we did just like make the bet that we're going to try to make this happen. And it, it turned out great. They were both really fun vacations. I would say we are planners if nothing else and being able to, place a bet in the form of some pretty far out plans did really pay off. Kind of reminds me even summer of 2020, we did Grand Canyon for the first mm-hmm. time, another national park. And I remember telling, uh, you know, our friend Ryan, who's in Vegas about that plan. And he kind of started laughing. It was so far out and the pandemic was where it was. Um, same thing. We can always cancel, but we gave ourselves that option. And that's one of the best trips we've ever had. And, and the national parks are booming now, but we've gotten those experiences because of that anticipation. And the Grand Canyon was empty. We even talked to people at the hotel. We're like, oh, is it normally like this? And they were almost sad. It was just so um, empty. So it was also a good pandemic vacation because you didn't really bump into anyone. (laughs) There was no one there. Yeah, I think plenty of good bets in terms of our adventures and Mm -hmm. look forward to many more of those in the near future. I also want to ask you maybe a pretty similar vein here, but weaving in the Malinsky Minute. We weren't going to get this whole conversation without doing that. Any favorite Dave-related memories in the last year? Because when we had this first conversation after Super Bowl 55, you talked about how well-rounded Dave was and had Mm -hmm. a lot of good things to say about him with the glimpse that you got into his life. Um, You know, so as far as that inspires a lot of what I do, frankly, a lot of what we do and talk about and aspire to be, um, any memories in the last year that really make you think of Dave? This is, like, really superficial, but it, it makes me laugh just because... Um, when we had gone to his house, he had, what was it, like a sauna or an infrared thing? I think he had a sauna like in his a living room. in his living room. And I've looked online for those from time to time because <laughs> I was like, maybe I surprised you with one of those because it's very deep. Yes. They are like pretty legit and expensive, but I still think about it. So it's just funny you asked that because I was kind of thinking about it somewhat recently. And I'm like, oh yeah, the guy had that in his living room. <laughs> it's very deep. But I'm like... One day we can we can probably do that because I would use it. And it's, I mean, if Dave had it, it's probably good for you. You can surprise me with that anytime you want. Even if it's not a surprise because you've planted that seed now, I will act surprised and fully embrace it. I think that's a great Dave tie-in because I'm often still blown away by the fact that he was world-class as a better, but a big part of that was his ability to break away from betting altogether and just focus on other walks of life, whether that's his fitness with the elliptical that he had in the Mm -hmm. room where he watched games and did a lot of his betting. You know, the sauna at his house, getting out to Mount Charleston, eating really well, Um, you know, not always physically healthy in the same way, but, you know, mentally maybe good for the soul, enjoying good, you know, beer or wine or spirits, like... He, he just knew when to really dig in and grind, and he could grind with the best of them, but also when to just really sever ties with that stuff and break away entirely and recharge. And that sauna was definitely part of how he recharged. Mm-hmm. So 
think uh, if we ever have the chance to make that happen for us, yeah, I am all in on it. Well, one last order of business here. I know last year I asked if you had anything to plug, and you're not really on social media, so we pass on that. So I will ask you to plug three things here that you like that you're not necessarily affiliated with, but one podcast, one show, and one book, because I know you consume all those forms of content. Mm. What would you plug as far as those are concerned? Oh, like my favorite podcast right now? Yeah, some good recommendations. Um. Oh, man, I have so many podcasts that I listen to. Um... Oh, I'm trying. To, I'm trying to pick one because I think I subscribe to like fifty something podcasts. Um, what do I get most excited for? I mean, I love the Thursday Armchair Experts. I know like his Monday ones because it has all the celebrities, but the Thursday ones, like I love when it's like some professor from some university talking about some topic that sounds obscure, and two hours later, like this is the best thing I've ever heard. I love that. I've also been listening to the Deep Dive a lot. They're really fun and casual. One quick clarification, because listeners to this show might know The Deep Dive as the name <laughs> oh. of a sports betting podcast this that Props and Hops alumni, Whale Capper Drew Dinsick and Andy Molitor host. But this is a separate podcast, different hosts, and maybe touch a bit on the topics that they cover. Oh, yeah, yeah. They're two actresses and comedians, and it's just like a lifestyle. But it's like kind of fun to just like listen to them talk, because it almost feels like you're listening to your friends talk. Um I love I love that one too. That one's like a new one I've gotten into. Um, those get me really excited, and I've gotten really into all the Freakonomics um, podcasts. They have like three or four, uh, so I really like the Freakonomics stuff too. They had a good one recently on long snapping. Yes, that was actually a really good episode. All right, give us uh, a show and a book as well. I mean, this is another show that doesn't need me to plug it, but we've gotten really into Yellowstone, mm -hmm. which I know everyone else is into as well, but. I haven't watched the spinoffs yet, um, but we're almost done with season four and couldn't recommend it enough. It's like fun and dramatic, but there's also the characters have good arcs. I really like Yellowstone. And then a good book. I've been reading a lot of um, murder mysteries, and I really, the book um, Pretty Little Wife was really good. That's some good twists. Um, so I like that one. That was really fun. And I also liked um, Finley Donovan is Killing It. And there's a new one, Finley Donovan Knocks Him Dead, which I haven't read yet. But that was that was like a very fun, good book. And it's good because it's a female characters and you can tell it was written by a woman because they actually talk like how women talk. So I liked the voice of that character. So those are like, I would say those are like fun murder mystery ones, those two. And for just thinking about the demo of this audience for a bit, I know that you're also really into a lot of really good, you know, biographies history, yeah. on, on prominent figures in history. So anything that you might recommend if somebody shares that interest? Yeah, I mean, I just read um, Lee, A Life, about Robert E. Lee. And I read that one because I had read um, Grant by Ron Chernow. And, like, that's one of my favorite books ever. So I wanted to kind of read about the other figure, his counterpart in the Civil War. And... Uh, that book was really good and was a really interesting look at him. Some he goes, they go into pretty good depth, and uh, yeah, I, I thought that one was actually a really good book. Um, and it's not as long as Grant. That one's only about I think like five hundred pages. The Grant one's about a thousand. Just a quick five hundred page read. A breezy five hundred. Um, <laughs> yeah, so I I really like that one. 
All right. Well, I think you've shown that you still know more than enough when it comes to the sports side of things, the beer side of things, and plenty of other walks of life. Just to wrap this up, I want to thank you sincerely on the record for not just tolerating, but actively supporting and contributing to this show. I couldn't do it without you, and I couldn't do much of anything without you because you're my favorite person and the best thing that's ever happened to me. So thank you once again for coming on. Thank you for having me. I feel like I have no lane, but thank you for making me feel like I have lots of lanes. Goodbye. Thanks again to Allison, and thank you for listening. If you've enjoyed our conversation, the number one way you can support Props and Hops is to leave a rating on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. One housekeeping item as we hit the home stretch. If you live in an area where wagering is legal and want to kill two birds with one stone, go ahead and sign up for a sports book via any of the links at the bottom of the Props and Hops landing page on Dimers.com. That way you can get down on some edges and support this show along the way. You can find a link to do so in these show notes. Alright, that'll do it for this week. I'll talk to you again next week, still piecing it together, but probably an interview episode, putting a bit more of the spotlight back on betting beyond football. Until then, whatever we decide to wager on, let's bet well, and especially if you can get your hands on Pliny the Younger in California this week, let's drink well, and above all else, let's be well.